Welcome, and thanks for listening to AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Today's episode is the Watershed Cover Crop Project. Here's your host, Laura Hankey. Thanks, Ryan. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks for joining us once again. We are excited this morning to be bringing you this WRAPS program with, as Brian said, our guest, Travis CV. Travis, thanks for joining us here this morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, to get us started here this morning, can you go ahead and give us a little bit of your background and how you became involved with the WRAPS program? Yeah, um, you know, the WRAPS, um, it's a a program through the Kansas Department of Health and Environment, which, you know, at first, you know, we work with a lot of agriculture industry, and that can make some people wince sometimes when, you know, KDHE is involved. But uh, what we are, you know, we're a, a water quality program at heart. And so uh, we primarily deal with non-point source pollution, which is, you know, all the pollution that's not directly attributed to one place or regulated. And so as in most states, that's usually the majority of where we find our water quality problems. Being an agriculture state, of course, you know, we have a lot of influences from the agriculture side. So our program has been strongly, you know, related to agriculture for a very long time, uh, realizing that, uh, you know, producers and uh, the rural community is really who are our target audience to work with. And we've had some pretty good successes with working with the, the agriculture industry and improving water quality in Kansas um, for all. So I got involved with KDHE about 11 years ago in this program, starting off with just some simple education grants and working my way to actually help manage the statewide program of wraps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you guys certainly have some innovative approaches to water quality and how you get there. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, further into the program. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about cover cropping. How did cover cropping come into your um, strategy there at wraps? So, so to get to an idea of how we got to there, you know, to understand the framework of WRAPS, um, it's a volunteer program. So it's non-regulation in which we do have financial assistance. Um, we do receive some state water plan funds, but uh, so we have state funding, good support there from our state. Um, primarily, though, we use EPA Clean Water Act funds that are directed at fixing water quality programs. Now, the great part about WRAPS is it's flexible. We aren't set with any kind of program guidelines. We we set the program needs and policies based on the conditions we, we live in. So um, with RAPS, um, any practice is really truly allowable as long as it yields a water quality improvement. Over the years, uh, you know, we first started off with very traditional agriculture, um, conservation practices, terraces and waterways and buffers, which you know gained us uh, some momentum for a little bit, but we're always looking to adapt the program. And as everybody knows, you know, no-till has been around for a little bit, but the idea of cover crops has really hit us in the last decade here. And so ever keeping our eye out for, you know, more effective and innovative approaches, you know, cover crops um, became an interest to us and uh, the soil health and uh, soil regeneration as a whole. And so we just started to see some of our wraps projects, which we are spread out throughout the state, um, throughout drainage areas, each wraps projects locally led. Um, to let the locals, a lot of producer-led groups, um, tell us what are the best practices. And so the conversation really began with a lot more cover crops, a lot more soil health and no-till over the years, building that up till becoming one of our main strategies. And so as we assess the area, we realized that there are resources that were needed to get this done. A lot of willing, a lot of interest from people. The risk was a little bit nerve-wracking um, for a while, the, you know, the availability of seed. And when this started, you know, a few years back, seed was not as cheap as what it is now. And so 
we decided that our financial resources that we had would go really well hand in hand with producers wanting to try this idea of cover cropping. It was a little nerve wracking. Um, you know, our program had the same kind of side looks that neighbors were giving each other when they were starting cover crops. Right. You know, why are you investing in this? And so, uh, you know, everything has a risk and I'm glad this one panned out really well for us. And so as we got more and more in cover crops, um, some good modeling became available and we just realized the actual nutrient and sediment reductions, um, those pollutants were not going into our waterways as much from these areas that we were getting to cover cropping in. And so we definitely attribute that to increased infiltration with soil health, um, having living roots also slow down water and help out quite a bit with uh, nutrient management. Um, not only were we seeing less runoff, a lot of producers were not applying as many chemicals as they were at once as they were getting the nutrient cycling. So the cover crops um, became a, you know, a traditional cost share at first for our program where we're, all of our wraps projects provide money if you're needing a little bit of cost share to buy some seed for planting. And then we are starting to more adapt into the idea of, you know, technical assistance with those cover crops, um, you know, companion cropping. And we're just every year kind of getting a little bit more innovative with how we see cover crops. Right. And you shared here before we got started this morning that this really is a producer driven initiative that you guys see yourself more of a, a support agency letting yes. the producers take the reins. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that and how you're partnering with different agencies. So you guys have a cost share. Can a producer use NRCS funds as well? Yes. Uh, our, our only uh, guidelines is, you know, like most programs where we don't, you know, we can't pay over a hundred percent and that's really our, our guideline there. Mm -hmm. um, so what we can do though, is invest in as much as we need to, you know, if uh, some cases where equip or your state conservation programs don't pay, you know, our programs can help come in and cover some things. What we like to see with the partnering with our program, though, is the flexibility of our program allows for some innovative approaches to other aspects of programs. So where we get to set our own guidelines, um, one of the uh, aspects of that we've seen recently is um, grazing of cover crops. And so when grazers are up there, we have the ability with our program to maybe establish a water source on that field where other programs can't. So where some programs will pick up the cover crop seed, we can come in and help facilitate a watering facility there for and some rotational grazing fencing for that purpose. So they do work hand in hand quite often from there. We uh, All the agencies try not to you know duplicate each other, but more enhance each other's programs. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how Hagee became involved in this conversation, Travis. So this is such a, a cool project that you guys have going with these Hagee interceders. How did this come to be? Well, what we always, you know, see wraps as is a, it's a toolbox. You know, what do we need? And so as, as time went around, you know, the need for cost share for cover crop seeds was still there, but it really wasn't the driving force necessarily. We had, you know, a lot of people, seed availability Seed has became cheaper, but you know, looking at what is the next hurdle of why people aren't implementing, and the general infrastructure and timing was something that came up quite a bit. Um, traditionally, a lot of uh, producers would wait till after harvest to go in and plant their cover crops, um, which is still a you know a viable way to do that. But timing-wise, you know, some producers don't have the time after harvest to get in there, um, especially you know over the last few years. Sometimes that gets pushed slightly, and so. We don't see the, the stand and the growth from the cover crops we'd like. Uh, other producers that would like to graze it, we're not seeing the, the stand. And so we know timing was an issue and you know how do we fix that? And so it came to our attention that uh, 
Peggy and Montag uh, were producing some machinery that we thought would be very you know, useful. And the idea of the, the Hagee interseeders is to establish that cover crop in standing current commodity crops. So, you know, primarily corn and beans in our area, maybe it's Milo. Um, so the question then became, how do we do this? You know, about, about a half a million dollar per piece of machinery, we're not expecting producers to probably be running out and buying those. So the idea behind the Hagee was to build a market with retail service providers and to buy those machines. Um, not a lot of programs have enough money to do that. And so we actually access some funds that are traditionally used for green infrastructure and wastewater upgrades for municipalities. And so definitely seeing cover crops as a green infrastructure within the state uh, when it comes to water quality. Uh, we had quite a bit of conversations with EPA in our own state, uh, state revolving loan funds through the Clean Water Act and uh, worked out uh, a deal with the municipality and a sponsored organization. And so throughout a, the city of Wetmore helped secure a principal forgiveness loan from the state of Kansas through our revolving loan fund in which they purchased eight Peggy interceders for the state of Kansas. Uh, Glacial Hills RCND um, was an organization we used to be kind of the, the middleman um, to work between retailers and the city. The city then gave the ownership of those machines to Glacial Hills who rented out to local retailers uh, for a dollar a year for three year contracts. And what their job was at the retailers then was to build a market for us. So um, they were able to get out uh, to help producers understand their seed mixes they need to uh, get us so many acres. And what we were aiming at is 5,000 acres in our priority acres, our priority areas every year and um, we we're off to a, a very quick start. We, we got the machines the first year in August, which was just the day that we wanted them out in the field. So the first year was a little shaky and that was last year. Um, this year we had a lot more planning. I think we're gonna see a lot more acres go in this fall. Um, this will be our second year, um, which each one of our retailers are, they're marketing this, they're talking to their current producers that use their services. And really, it's uh, kicking off a little bit more and more everybody that uses it. Um, mm -hmm. The Heggies were a little concerning at first with, you know, what kind of damage? And we show that, you know, there isn't much damage, you know, very much, you know, I think we're at 2%, which is, you know, very much tolerable. Um, they said their GPS units, a lot of these uh, retailers have already went through that area and have the GPS data. These Heggies run on the same technology. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more cover crops get in sooner than we were. Well, that's just a cool process to be able to intercede in standing corn, you know, yeah. beans, you know, I, I wasn't surprised by beans, but when I heard standing corn, I thought that must be quite the machine. And when I saw what it really is quite the machine. <laughs> it is, um, you know, that was the thing. It's like, well, how tall is this? And, you know, I like to tell people very tall. So, right, you know, right. <laughs> you know it, it, it gently pushes the tops over and lets them come right back up um, about the only, you know, Damage that we see is the usual stuff that's on the in rows, just the turnaround, you know, right. radius there of that machine. Um, they have nice long drop down tubes that put the cover crop right where it needs to. Um, you know, aerial seeding is still an option after that, you know, mm -hmm. after harvest option. But this really gives us a variable and um, the standing rates just if we if we can get the rain, which is always a thing with cover crops. It's just extra. You know, it's really nice to see what we're getting now a little bit of ahead of time. 
Right, right. Well, and it, it's just a really cool program and package because you're you're really offering a service that takes all of the work out of for, out of it for a farmer. It's essentially a phone call to your local yeah. cooperative that's participating. And with a hundred and twenty foot boom, you know these it doesn't take too many passes on. You know these right. heggies are built for you know large scale implementation, so you know it, it does get things done. They can move to field to field fairly quickly, and so I think it gives us you know. An issue with uh, equipment has always been everybody needs it at the same time. But as we found out with these Heggies, they have the ability to move quickly from field to field and get these cover crops established for us. So with a 120 foot boom, Travis, how many acres do you have to have to make this viable for your trip and also to accommodate the machine? Um, I think we're, we're we're noticing that the the retailers are really, you know, trying to pair up which producers are in a certain area there. Um, it doesn't take much, you know, this maybe isn't the best, you know, interceding for, you know, a 20 acre area necessarily by itself. Um, our program is really striving for those large scale acres because we see the large scale water quality improvements there as well. Um, we do have some that are doing some smaller fields. Um, the retailers are doing a great job of scheduling out and they'll just make themselves a nice path from, you know, relatively smaller fields to each other one there. So as of right now, it's not really been a concern with, you know, one or two small ones kind of outlayers. It's really been able to, you know, pair these guys up um, on those trips there. And that's one good thing the retailers brought to us is, you know, they provide the operators, they do the scheduling, um, mm -hmm. you know, we just have the, you know, the areas that we would like them to, to focus on more. And they're going to be marketing those areas over the next few years quite heavily. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, if you are one of those 20 acre producers, which we had 20 acres, and that's all we had that we wanted to put in last fall, you know, we found four or five other neighbors in the area who wanted to put in as well. And, you know, that made it worth their trip. So, yep. you know, if you can compile and, and make it worth their trip, even if you do have 20 acres, it's still a possibility. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to, you know, speak to your neighbor <laughs> yeah, to help Absolutely. with that. So, you know, I, <laughs> I think a lot of, of the this program, be, right? <laughs> yes, is, you know, that's, you know, building a network of, you know, producers doing this. And I think that's, you know, a little bit of peer pressure is a good thing when it comes to some cultural changes. In the industry. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about water quality, Travis. What kind of improvement have you guys been able to attribute to this new system, the cover cropping and then the integration of the Hagees as well? Yeah. And so for us, that's definitely what it's all about. But, you know, we realize that, you know, working within the agriculture industry, we cannot just go out and ask everybody to change everything without there. Right. So um, where this is our heart and soul of our program and some people, you know, why is KDHE involved with agriculture? And so this is really the true meaning. Um, these Heggies, um, if we get our 5,000 acres in on each one of these, so I have some numbers here I wanted to share with you guys. Absolutely. We'd be looking at, you know, phosphorus and nitrogen being, you know, an issue in the state and everywhere, you know, the, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, has a nutrient issue when it comes to the water quality there, which causes the, um, the hypoxic zone in that area. So if we achieve all of ours, which we think we're on, on track to do that over the next few years with our, our HEGI alone, we'll be saving about 156,000 pounds of nitrogen. Wow. Um, 79,000 pounds of phosphorus and about 54 tons of sediment yearly from entering our waterways and leaving the state. Um, so the Heggies are definitely going to pay a large role in our water quality. Um, our current cover crops, um, last year we planted about 20,000 acres of cover crops outside of, you know, the Heggie work there. Um, 
with you know great nitrogen and sediment as well. So the majority of our water quality impairments um, from the agriculture side do come from nutrients and sediments. Um, so when we're looking at those, uh, the cover cropping and the Heggies integrated together, you know, work really well to us. Um, it takes a while to delist some waters. It took quite a while to impair them. So when we say delisting waters as an agency, we're really talking about fixing any water quality impairments that are violating you know, water quality standards with those. Um, we are lucky um, that we are actually seeing significant changes now. Um, Black Vermilion and our Tuttle Creek watershed actually have some segments that we were able to say have been fixed of their impairment um, for sediment due to cover crop implementation within the area. So we are starting to see the needle move on quite a bit of other areas. Might not be quite at the point where we can say the water's fixed, but you know we're looking in a short-term you know, turnaround of, you know, the next five to 10 years of seeing some other waters actually go back to being, you know, at acceptable standards due to cover crops. And we can, you know, we feel very secure to say it's cover crop implementation is really what caused this. Right. And that's definitely not just a KDHE. That's all the programs helping integrate cover crops. And, you know, when we had a conversation with uh, Minnesota's state director of conservation a few months ago, you know, the essence of everything is soil health and how you're making your soil work for you. And that's really what this program is about as well. Yes. Um, what we really consider is kind of ecosystem restoration. So not only are we fixing our water quality, we're seeing habitat restoration come back. Um, which, you know, the hunters are really liking to see that. Um, you know, what's important for us as far as, you know, rural development and working with producers is their bottom lines are getting better. You know, right. with cover crops, we're seeing some economic benefits coming from there. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, about carbon sequestration. And, you know, we're seeing that, you know, cover crops is a very good way to get, you know, carbon out of the atmosphere and back into the ground where, you know, producers can utilize that healthy soil to produce commodities. So. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the big picture, the other conversation that can be had is we've already seen in Iowa agriculture change from a non-point source to a point source in some cases. And this cover cropping strategy really allows you to continue as a non-point source and to reduce what's what's going into our runoff. Yeah. And it also keeps it very much producer centric and back still to the voluntary, you know, there is no, you know, script to do it. You know, I think our, our job as agencies is to see how our programs can help facilitate this for the producer. And so again, back to the wraps kind of idea that, you know, producers and locally led groups, um, grassroots really should be what, you know, drives us here. And, you know, when we're setting this, this is what the producers are, are they're pushing for this. We're just helping come in with the resources right. to make sure that we can continue this. And that has to be exciting for you guys as well to implement a program and then see all of this outpouring. So, you know, we talked about minimum acres. Is there a cap on how many acres a producer can sign up? There is not. Um, and, and so the way we, we work is, you know, since we are a water quality program, you know, the more water quality benefits that we can get somewhere, the more we're going to keep. Now, each one of our RAPS uh, programs, they do have... Um, targeted areas within theirs that we, we kind of aim our funds at places that we believe um, have more influence on the water quality um, with that. So that might be one of the caveats when people are looking. Um, I definitely suggest, you know, to get on our, our ksraps.org website. Um, we have all of our wraps areas there with their contacts to see, you know, are you in an area that can receive wraps resources? 
If not, our RAPS program can help you, you know, see if there's other resources. Our coordinators are very, you know, knowledgeable of the other programs to help there. But, you know, if someone has 100 acres, you know, we get 100 acres worth of water quality benefits. If someone has 1,000 acres, we get 1,000 acres. So as long as the funds are there, um, as far as the Heggies are concerned, you know, if it's there, you know, the bigger the acres, those things, the better they run. So, you know, until our financial resources are kind of, you know, finished for that year until the next one comes up there, you know, caps are usually not a concern as long as the finances are there. So right. we, we definitely like to see as many acres as possible. So, well, you know, we focused the majority of the program here this morning talking about cover cropping and, uh, you know, how the Hagees are integrated into that, but your mighty team of six, you guys have a lot going on within that RAPS KDHE office. What are some of those programs that you guys are working on in addition to this, Travis? So additionally, and everything kind of, you know, goes together. We're constantly building and realizing just like the Heggies, you know, we get to one step and we realize, okay, what's missing now? And so we have some excited things to kind of, you know, enhance um, the 319's role in soil health and, you know, bring, you know, city Kansas. Um, one of the first things is um, some education work that we're working on. Um, we partnered with Understanding Ag and this is their, you know, partner agency, the Soil Health Academy. I'm sure many people have heard of Gabe Brown and Ray Archuleta. Um, we have our own Shane New, who is um, actually part of that organization here in Kansas, um, which really, you know, their Soil Health Academies, uh, we've ran a few of those in Kansas, um, getting as many producers as we can to come and talk to the guys who have had plenty of failures and plenty of successes to walk people through the idea of the soil health principles. Um, and we're also doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with them in some areas. Um, through that partnership, uh, we actually were excited to begin partnering with General Mills as well. And so uh, five years ago, you would have never convinced me that we would be partnering with uh, industry in this way in which, you know, uh, a couple of the guys, uh, Steve and Jay with General Mills um, Sustainability, they know that the writing's on the wall for food producers, that it needs to have a viable food source, you know, to continue producing their product and producing food for, um, you know, the world. Um, they're looking at buying their commodities from regenerative soil health related practices. And so we have a project in South Central Kansas with General Mills in our kind of our heavy wheat producing country there to work with Understanding Ag and General Mills to really get producers more understanding regenerative farming. Um, so there is a sustainable food source for General Mills to use that way. So um, they've had a heavy influence in the state here, have been great partners um, to see the industry side invest as much as agencies are, if not more, in get, helping farmers you know, transition to soil health. Then General Mills, along with that, has got us in with the um, Ecosystem Service Market Consortium, which is a big, you know, the ESMC is the acronym they use. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, a group of other industry professionals that, you know, are coming together and realizing that they would like to be carbon neutral. They would like to see sustainable farming. And so these groups have come together and they're really interested and um, trying to figure out how do farmers start to get paid for carbon sequestration? How do they buy those carbon credits? Um, in addition to that, we're, we're trying to see how water quality um, for municipalities, water quality trading might be an option to work with producers. And so um, we're no longer looking at trying to fix the issue with, you know, lack of a better term, band-aids on things, but actually going and working within the watershed in the community to fix a problem as a whole, which is really exciting to see kind of this holistic way 
that multiple groups can benefit and bring their resources together from that. The last thing that we kind of have bringing this all together is finding the farmers, you know, a trusted source of information of how they transition. And so what we realized is that the most a farmer, the best person a farmer can trust is their neighbor farmer. And so KHE is um, leading a couple charges on this one. Um, we have some soil health coaching going on in Western Kansas, and we just received an EPA grant to continue that work and build a farmer to farmer coaching network um, in the state in which we will have farmer coaches, uh, again, producers that have already done cover crops and know where, you know, what works in their area and they can help mentor and coach their neighbors into transitioning to soil health. You know, very few times someone jumps in the deep end and just does everything that they need to know, you know, how do I transition? Um, you know, how do I watch my economic side of things? Um, when do I need to be worried? And some guys just need a phone call, you know, when the rye gets higher than they thought it was going to be and they start to panic, you know, they need to call their neighbor and get talked off the ledge a little bit, you know, and here's some options that we can do. And, you know, it'll be fine. Mine did the same thing two years ago and here's what I did. So right. by building those network of farmers, we're really, you know, letting the community build this out on our own. So we're very excited about this farmer to farmer opportunity that will be starting this July. Yeah. And so getting into the farmer to farmer mentoring opportunity, is that just a phone call to your wraps office as well? How does a, a farmer get involved with that? We'll be doing some marketing coming this July. Um, and so when we have that, um, we're, we're in the process right now of identifying our coaches um, to come into this stuff. And we will definitely be marketing. Uh, the wraps coordinator is definitely a place to go to it right now. Um, at that point, what we're hoping to do is to show, you know, who are these coaches within these areas um, and if you're not sure, you know, KDHG is always a good place to call too to start with that one. But, um, you know, as we build these up, we're hoping that, you know, today's coaches, you know, coach the new generation. And in a couple of years, those ones that were being coached become coaches themselves. And so um, right now, um, anybody within the Northeast Kansas and kind of Southeast Kansas region, um, keep your eyes open. Uh, we're going to have some marketing come out um, to really, you know, push this idea of farmer to farmer so you know who your coaches are and who you can get into contact with um, for that one-on-one -on -one technical assistance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Travis, you know, when I hear the word sustainability, and, and I think this is the case for a lot of people, you automatically go to the environmental and the ecosystem side of that. But people forget there are two other pillars, and that's social improvement, and that's economic improvement. And you guys are doing a fantastic job of bringing all three of those, making sure that stool is standing with all three of those legs. So kudos for that. These are fantastic programs. Um, you guys have an event coming up pretty quickly, don't you? We do. We, we, you know, a few of those. And so um, what I would kind of push everybody to, you know, we have an event coming up um, with one of our, our Tuttle Creek wraps program is we've set up a demo farm in which we would like to show the community, you know, for guys that don't necessarily want to try something on their own. Well, we're going to have a demo farm out there trying some new innovative things when it comes to cover crops um, with a great producer that we have Bill boosting um, up in our Tuttle Creek wraps area. Um, we've helped kind of form a newly formed, you know, soil health alliance for the state of Kansas producer led in which they are hosting a calendar for all events, you know, whether that's this agency or another agency with that there. And so definitely would suggest anybody that's looking to see where soil health events are going on in their area um, to check out our, our, our KansasSoilHealth.org website um, that the cell, the soil health alliance, again, a producer led group. Um, 
that they're really wanting to bring in all events to everybody to make sure that, you know, you'd hate to find out there was an event 30 minutes down the road and you missed it. So right, we're, we're right. kind of finding that we've, we're letting the Soil Health Alliance be the clearinghouse for all events in Kansas here. So yeah. I would check that out. I know Bill's events on there, as well as a few more within the area of Northeast Kansas. Yeah, and we'll definitely share that resource as well. And just for clarification, Travis, before we wrap this morning, is this for producers outside of Kansas as well? Sorry, uh, the, the, the event that, the, that, that's being held yes. at Bill's. Okay. Yes, we open that up. Um, that goes to Simon. If you guys see Soil Health Academies, um, which we will plan on, you know, doing a few of those this year, you know, the more the merrier when it comes to that. So it's always interesting to see, you know, some of the guys that come out of state to see how Kansas does it. And, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. always a good strategy for anybody out of state um, to go to a different region to see how they do it. Um, and it's a great way to bring back ideas to your own area. You know, not, we want to see Kansas, you know, have more soil health and cover crop related practices going in. But, you know, from a nationwide, we need to see this, you know, throughout the entire nation. So yeah, definitely any Kansas events that you ever see are opened up out of state as well. Great to hear. Well, you know, and I'll just add that when I went to the first Understanding Ag event, um, I actually covered it for AGI SureTrack a couple of years ago. Um, there was probably no greater skeptic to, you know, the conversation of, of you know, these, these different approaches. Um, and the great thing about this, Travis, the thing that I took away from that, I totally changed my perspective over those three days that I was there. Um, the great thing about it is that it's it's not an all or nothing approach. It's doing what works for you and making yeah. it work for you. And I think that is the message that can hit home for every producer. So if you're listening and, and you've been on the fence as to whether you want to, you know, find out a little bit more about this, I would encourage you to do so because it is definitely eye opening. If you find yourself, you know, and for the Kansas folks in the you know, RAPS area or your own 319 programs, you know, 319 has flexibility. You know, I suggest guys who are nervous about getting started to, you know, pick out, you know, 20 acres of your worst producing land. That's probably the best place to begin soil health is areas where you're not really making too much of an economic benefit in the first place. So you're not losing too much. So, you know, I, I think there's a thought that it's always needing to do everything at once. And that's very overwhelming. So, you know, if, if you're unsure, you know, work with, uh, you know, other producers that have started and start small, you know, do your own experiments there to get started and then move from there. So, you know, you asked earlier about, you know, an acre cap, you know, we don't have those, but we also don't have acre minimums. So if someone's wanting to try some stuff and need a little bit of financial assistance and you're, you know, within a RAPS eligible area, you know, our RAPS project can help you out starting small just as well as trying to implement big. Right. Well, Travis, I think that's a great note to wrap up on this morning. Thank you so much for joining well, us. Thanks we for really having appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. We'll definitely get those resources shared and I'll reach out to you afterwards here this morning and, and uh, make sure that we have all the links to the events coming up as well as that uh, Soil Alliance calendar shared as well. Thanks for joining us here this morning, everyone. Uh, remember next week we are celebrating Independence Day, so we will not have a Friday coffee talk, um, but we will look forward to visiting with you again starting up on the ninth, I believe. Brian, we're ready to hand it back to you. Thanks for joining us for AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Connect with us on the web at agisuretrackcommunity.com.